This is Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the rock, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds, and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Exodus 2, 11 through 22. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much um, that we get to hear your word read, that we get to just come together. Um, and I pray for my soul right now, uh, that you would still it as I'm about to and just talk to my brothers and sisters in Christ about you. Father, use me to make you big. Use me to make you known as you have made yourself known to me in this passage this week. We ask all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, really glad that you guys are with us today. Thanks again for all your patience. And um, yeah, we're just excited to continue our series through the book of Exodus. Now, I'm sure many of you guys can look back over your life and you can recall what some might uh, define as uh, defining moments in your life. Uh, these are crucial memories that uh, played a part in the, the core of, of who you are. Uh, some of these memories, some of these moments were successful ones. Others are, are moments of failure. And whether you're aware of it or not, God has, has used all of these all of these events and circumstances in your life, these defining moments, to create and cultivate you into the person you are today in Christ Jesus. But most often, uh, instead of letting God define who we are and declare an identity over us, we sometimes look at our past and we want to cover up what has happened. We create false selves and, and false identities rather than letting the one who has orchestrated this journey to define who we are because we know whose we are. Now listen, Moses' story is no different than ours. And, 
And at the end of this short little section that we just had read to us, the author Moses, he lets us into a very low and dark point of his life. He's letting his history determine and define him. He's letting his history direct his destiny. And I believe Moses included this moment of the story so that we can see that our past doesn't have to define our future. And it doesn't have to dictate what we do in the future. And the big, the big nugget I want us to, to mine out of this passage here today is this. Your history doesn't have to determine your destiny, but your identity can. And if your identity is in Christ, then your destination is with the God of your salvation. And we're going to see that through two scenes in Moses' life. The first scene where he was rejected by the people he came to save. And the second scene where we see Moses accepted by those who were strangers. So you all ready to dive in? Here comes the first scene. Rejected by those he wanted to save. Now, if you turn in your Bibles all the way to the New Testament, Stephen, when he preaches to the crowds, he's retelling this story in Acts 7. He says, when he was 40 years old, that's Moses, when he hit his midlife crisis, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. And so 40 years has passed since Jochebed gave birth to Moses and hid him from Pharaoh in the reeds. And since that time, he was saved by Pharaoh's daughter and adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. Since that time, he was instructed in the ways of an Egyptian. And since that time, he was a boy who grew into a man with dual identities. He's both a Hebrew and an Egyptian. And we see a glimpse of his heart here in this passage in verse 11. He writes that he saw the Hebrews and he called them his own people. He saw their pain. When they were in pain, he was in pain. When they were being hurt, he was hurt. When he saw the Egyptian beating the Hebrew slave, he stepped in and defended the helpless. Now, you got to think about this. I mean, his upbringing as the son of an Egyptian princess, I mean, that teaching would have brainwashed him to see slaves as pawns, as machines, and as less than human. But instead of viewing him the way that the Egyptian viewed the Hebrew slaves, his compassion is the defender of the defenseless. And we see him striking down an Egyptian and then burying them in the sand. Now, I, I know what you want to know right now. Was it wrong for Moses to do this? Like, here's the deal when we're reading narratives. Narratives are descriptive more than they are prescriptive. You, fo you follow me there? They're, they're describing events, not prescribing what we ought to do or ought not to do. But we can see this in verse 12. No, no one is going to look around to see if anybody's watching when you're about to do something really kind, right? I mean, he looked around so that no one would see him. I mean, maybe he was just looking around so that Pharaoh wouldn't find out that he saved an enemy of the Egyptians, a Jew. Was he choosing to obey God and not man? 
Or was the killing premeditated or, or accidental as he defended the slave? Here's the thing. Nowhere in the Bible do we see God commending Moses for this, and we never see him condemning Moses for this. We, we can't say for certain. But what we do know about Moses is that he has a pattern of taking matters into his own hands. God was absent from this decision. And later we'll see everything bottleneck with his leadership because he didn't share leadership later in the book of Exodus. And in the same way he struck down this Egyptian, we'll find him striking the rock instead of trusting God's words. He's taking matters into his own hands. And the day after he buried that Egyptian into the sand, we see him doing this again, breaking up a fight between Hebrews. And the response is telling. Look what they say in verse 15. Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Who, who, who put him in charge? The answer is simple. No one made him anything yet. Moses' call has not come yet, and it won't come till chapter 3. His mama didn't tell him to do this. His adoptive mother didn't tell him to do this. Who, who made him and appointed him to this position? Moses did. Now, there will be a time where Moses leads the people, but his time has not come yet. He's 40 years old, and here we see Moses trying to recreate his own story, a self-made story along the journey to be a self-made functional savior to a people who weren't even asking for a savior. I heard a pastor from Texas say, Moses was really a man with, with no home. He wasn't fully accepted in the Egyptian life, and he wasn't accepted, certainly, by his own people, the Hebrews. Seeing himself as this kind of functional savior as he murders the Egyptian, and he tries to break up a fight among Hebrews, and this killing becomes known, even Pharaoh, we see, wants to put him to death. And so what does Moses do? He flees from his past. He flees from his history. I wonder if any of you can relate. Where we try to flee from our past. I mean, what happens when you are rejected for doing something that in the moment you thought was right? And what happens when in your story, like Moses, your story is middled, riddled with multiple identities? Do you find yourself trying to recreate your story, recreate your identity, try to make yourself into your own person? And what happens when people who you thought were your own people, maybe family, maybe a group of friends, when you sought to help them, serve them, have compassion on them, what happens when they reject you? How do you respond? Moses' response is to flee. His history fueled his new destiny, running from the past. All because the people he thought he was supposed to save rejected him. But then we see something different in scene two. This is the second point. He's accepted by those who are strangers. We find Moses in a place where we find many of Israel's forefathers. They're, they're around, he's around a well. I mean, remember Isaac, he found his wife at a well. Jacob met his wife at a well. And now Moses 
when ruthless shepherds try to drive women away from the well, Moses drives the shepherds away from the women. And these ladies' response is to celebrate Moses, to celebrate his mercy, to celebrate his compassion, to celebrate his defense. But he's still seen. He's still seen as his past. They call him an Egyptian. They said in Exodus 2, 16 through 22, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. And their father said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread with us. And Moses was content. He was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter, Sipporah. She gave birth to a son and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. I want you to notice the juxtaposition and mirroring of these two scenes. In his early 40s, Moses is not welcomed by his own people, but is here shown considerable hospitality by strangers in verse 20. The Hebrews did not appreciate his acts of justice on their behalf, but the Midianites in verse 21 welcome it and he even gets married to one of them. And the Jews engage in accusations of Moses. And the daughters of Raoul publicly sing his praise in verse 19. But we can't miss what these events of his story have done to his identity. You see, in the ancient culture, sometimes even today, the naming of a child is meant to tell a story. And Moses' story is one of sorrow, one of separation, confusion, and he's lost. See, maybe, just maybe, Moses was trying to find a place to belong. His history informed his identity, which determined his destiny. He's essentially saying, I've tried to make myself my people's savior. They rejected me. I come to, to strangers and they accept me. Who am I? Let my son's name tell you who I am and where I'm going. I'm a sojourner and a stranger in a foreign land. I'm lost. You know, I was sitting in a, in a conversation the other day, um, and a, a question was asked. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? And the person responded by talking about everything that he does, everything that he once did, talked about relationships, his, his family, his kids, what he hoped to do in the, pu- in the future. But in that answer, that person really didn't say much about himself. All he did was tell about what he did or who he knows. That person was, was me. <laughs> you see, I, I think when people ask us to tell, to tell them a little bit about who we are, they're asking, what defines us? What, what makes us who we are? And if you're anything like me, we love to answer this question with a role, right? I'm a leader. I'm a student. I'm a, I'm a bartender. I'm a barista. Or sometimes we love answering this question in terms of a relationship. I'm single. I'm married. I'm a daughter. I'm a son. Or maybe it's answered by a hobby or interest. I'm an outdoorsy person. I'm a 
sports fanatic. I'm a book nerd. Or if you're anything like me, my hobby is eating. Can I get an amen for people's hobbies who are eating? So what happens is you, if you listen closely, when we tell others who we are, most often we tell them what we do. We tell them what we have done or what we wish we would have done or what we think we're going to go and do. Or more than that, we tell them about what others have done to us or what we wish we have done for others and to others. And so I just wonder, what are the things from your immediate past or your distant past that you are still letting define you? What part of your history are you let controlling your identity, which then fuels your destiny? Whether it was said about you, whether you were rejected or accepted, whether it was something that you did or something that someone has done to you. You see, for Moses, he was pinned between two homes, pinned between two people groups, a self-made savior that was rejected by one group and a self-made savior who was accepted by another group. And all of his history led to this false identity. I'm a sojourner. I'm a stranger without a home in Egypt and without a home in Midian. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Can I pastor you for a moment? Fill in the blank. I am a Whatever first comes to mind, that's what you root your identity in. But for you, Christian, for you, son of God, daughter of God, child of God, your identity is not made by you. It's given to you by Jesus. Your identity is not defined by what you do or what others have done to you. It's defined by what Jesus has done for you. Your identity is not defined by what you looked at on the internet last night. It's defined by the way the Father looks at you with loving approval and loving acceptance. You are not damaged goods. You are not used goods. You are declared good in Christ Jesus by the Father. Or as my friend Frank puts it, you're not just a product of your past. You are a living testimony of God's grace in your life through Christ Jesus. Grace defines you. Mercy defines you. God defines you in Christ Jesus. God is your identity. Jesus is your identity because Jesus is your destination for Jesus is the joy of your salvation. And you don't have to work for this identity. You live out from this identity. It's not based on you. It's placed on you by Jesus and him alone and his work alone on the cross and in his empty tomb. See, we need to see that we are just like Moses. Our stories are a mess. Our stories are riddled by multiple identities that others have placed on us and that we have made for ourselves. We're unimpressive. And we're full 
of sin and shame where we try to wear a mask to recreate ourselves to cover up our past. And yet, God wants to meet you right here, right now, just as you are. Just as he did to Moses, just a couple verses later. So when Moses is called by God, Moses meets him at this burning bush that does not burn up. And I love what God does not say to Moses. You know what God does not say to Moses? He does not bring up his past. He doesn't bring up his past. Any of it. You know what God says to Moses? He declares to Moses his future. And the most important aspect about his future is not his history, but his destiny of God being with Moses. For God is Moses' identity. I will be with you, God says. The great I am is with you. You want to know who you are? Know whose you are. You are the great I am's child. And Moses not only reminds us of us at times, but he gives us glimpses of a future greater prophet that he even writes about later in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, where we will find another prophet sitting by a well. And this great prophet is also known as the Good Shepherd. It's Jesus, the shepherd that doesn't drive women away from a well, but welcomes a woman that no one else welcomes. And this woman comes up to Jesus at a well, and she defines herself in the same label that society has given her, a Samaritan. Remember what she says to Jesus? You shouldn't talk to me. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You hear the identity language there? I am. And after a back and forth about water, politics, philosophy, prophets, and religion, you know what she does? She runs and tells the entire village, I met a man who knows everything about me. This has to be the Christ. You see, this woman was rejected over and over again because the village knew some things about her. And yet, even though she has a tainted, promiscuous life of husband after husband and now is living with someone who is not her husband, Jesus knows her story better than she knows her story. And yet he still welcomes her. He still accepts her. And this is what Jesus has come to do. Jesus has come into a world, was sent by the Father to a people who will reject him. He came into the world as the Christ, the Messiah, the rescuer of the Jews, only to be rejected by them. But do you know who accepted Jesus? The people who weren't the religious, the people who were outside of the, G the Jewish circles, not on the inside of Jewish circles. The Samaritan, the promiscuous, the liars, the lepers, the never-do-goods, the tax collectors, the people who had such a tainted past that no one thought that they could be loved by God. They were too messed up for God to love the people who had too much of a history. Those are the people who love Jesus because those are the people Jesus knew fully accepted and he loved. And Jesus has come to do the same for you. He has come to be rejected so that we can be accepted. 
See, just as Moses lived with this dual identity, he was an Egyptian in the palace, but also a Hebrew to save the Hebrews, Jesus, the Son of God, was truly the King of Kings from a heavenly palace who has come down to put on flesh, to be human, to be like us, so that he can take all of the false identities we have placed on ourselves and he puts them on himself. He takes our sin, he takes our shame on that cross and then he puts the truest identity on us that could ever be set of us, child of God. And when we put our faith and trust in what Jesus did in his life, in his death for the forgiveness of our sins, forgiveness where we've tried to cover up our past by making our own selves and making our own identities. And when we believe in his resurrection that has justified us, you know what the Father says? The Father says, let me tell you the name of my Son so that I can declare a brand new story over you. Remember, the naming of a Son was to tell a story And the father says, listen to the name of my son. It's Yeshua. God saves. For when you know the name of his son, you know your identity. You're the one God who came to save. You are his. You are loved. You are welcomed and accepted all because God sent his son to be rejected in our place. When we know this identity in Christ Jesus, you know what we'll stop doing? We'll stop trying to be functional saviors for everybody else, but instead we'll point them to the true living savior, Jesus Christ. When you know who you are in Christ Jesus, you will cease trying to find your identity and what other people and what other groups think about you, whether they accept you or reject you, because you know your identity is found in the acceptance before God in Christ Jesus. And when you see you are in Christ Jesus, you will be able to say, yes, I'm a sojourner and I'm a stranger in a land that is not my own, but I'm not without of home, because my home is with Christ in heaven with God. As Christians, you know what we get to say? Our history in Christ. Our identity in Christ. Our destiny is with Christ. See, many of us, we want to look back at our stories and try to find a defining moment to to tell us who we are. But for us as Christians, sons and daughters of the living God, our most defining moment is when we look to the cross and to that empty tomb. For looking back allows us to see our future. We're not predestined to be condemned. We're predestined to be welcomed and loved for all that condemnation fell on Christ. We aren't destined to death for the tomb is empty. We are predestined to life forever with God and with Christ. But until that time, we are strangers and sojourners in an exiled world waiting for God to renew this world here today, when he returns, when the king comes back and reunites heaven and earth. Brothers and sisters, your history is in Christ. Your identity is in Christ. And your future, your destiny, it's with Christ and Jesus with you. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, we thank you so much for...